folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis On the docket today, chapter 22, hard to improve upon this one, hard to be more uh, well-known in the book of Genesis than the sacrifice or near sacrifice of Isaac. I suppose this goes down as one of the more popular chapters of the book, specifically for how it foreshadows the person and work of Christ as a beloved son who is... uh, voluntarily sacrificed by the Father for the sins of the world, for the appeasement of God's will and wrath uh, to bless his humanity with eternal life. This is, uh, in many ways, a foreshadowing of that. At the same time, though, I want to emphasize our theme here, and that is, how does this text bear witness to the Christian church, the Christian people of all times and places? How is this not just an ancient Near Eastern foreshadowing of something much later, but also a continual and ongoing manifestation of our life in Christ, what it looks like to live and move and have our being in him? So that'll be our focus today. You'll probably know that the there's a podcast on this chapter, at least the first half of this, uh, in our, one of our top four, in our top 40 series. That says a lot, right, that this makes the top 40 texts. So you can revert to that one as well. But this one, a special focus on this Christianity theme. And this starts right at the beginning. After these things, God tested Abraham. We know that God tests his people. And this is something that's often implied in the scriptures, but here it's very explicit. The word there for test, God tested Abraham. He tests his people. He presses their faith. He pushes things around a little bit to strengthen and nourish in the one true faith. Even if that includes hardship, affliction, and so on, he he has done that for Abraham. He continues to do that for all those of Abraham, sons of Abraham, defined by those with faith in Christ. He did this after these things. It's kind of important to know that this test does not happen first thing. Abe is called in chapter 12, by grace, through faith, Abe believes that call. It's not that he tests, God tests Abe and then he tests him some more and then, oh, he passed the test and therefore I will extend that wonderful call that I gave you in chapter 12. Abe was caught up in idolatry in chapter 12. He was called out of darkness. That's the Christian life. The tests of the Christian come in the context of the Christian life. You have already been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been strengthened in the one true faith. You have been uh, given God's word again and again. Think about the narrative of, of Abraham. Think about how many times the Lord appeared to him or spoke to him. You have been strengthened in the one true word and faith unto everlasting life. It's in that strength, in that context, that one is tested. And so that also informs this well-known chapter 22, that the test comes in the context of, I've given you my promise. The text comes, the test comes in the, in the, in the, context of you are mine i will complete the good work that i have that i've begun in you the test comes in the midst of i've promised to be with you and never 
to leave you or forsake you. Hold fast to this promise in the midst of this test, even if this test looks like the exact opposite of everything that you would have expected me to do in order to fulfill those promises. I love you and I'm with you. Therefore, take your only son whom you love, Isaac, and offer him there as a burnt offering. That doesn't sound anything like being with me and not forsaking me. So also the cancer diagnosis or whatever it happens to be. And yet, this is exactly the context of the test. He gives you the promise first, and he says, cling to that no matter what you're thinking or feeling or experiencing in this outward physical life. Abraham is willing. That's the amazing thing. It's one thing for God to command this, but it's quite another for Abe to just, I mean, what does he say? At first he says, here I am. Behold, here I am. Send me, send me. Sound like Isaiah, doesn't it? Which is also the Christian life. Here I am. I don't always understand the vocation you've placed me in, but here I am. I don't always have the the best of days, but here I am. I don't always understand the next steps for me after this vocation, but here I am. Send me, send me. Abe says that, but after the command to, to offer the son, don't you? I mean, aren't you kind of, so Abraham rose early in the morning. I mean, what's, where's the, I mean, even the Virgin Mary, right? How will this be? <laughs> uh, I don't understand this. And yet Abraham says nothing. He gets up early in the morning, like he's got a job to do. Let's get, I mean, where is, where's the response? How, you know, I am a man of unclean lips. I mean, speaking of Isaiah, something, no excuse. Now, granted, uh, Luther reflects on this. I'm sure Abe, you know, didn't get much sleep that, that night and many of tears, uh, many tears shedding and so on. But uh, the point here is just this, I mean, this is an absolute in Isaiah 53, the Lord delighted to crush him for our sake, the suffering servant, that is. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He delighted to do this because of what it would mean for our relationship with him. And Abe goes as if this is just this is the job. He rises early, saddles his donkey, takes two of his young men. It's kind of interesting. These young men, why aren't they saddling the donkey? Why aren't they, you know, getting up early? And he takes two, just keep that in mind. I'm very curious about this this young men thing. I'll come back to that in a second. They're even mentioned before Isaac. Did you notice that? Two of his young men there. What is that, verse 3? And then, and then his son Isaac mentioned afterwards. There's some sort of prioritization of these two men. They're listed before Isaac. It's just an, an amazing thing. We'll, we'll say more in a second. He cuts the wood. I mean, on this theme, too, he, Abraham cuts the wood for the burnt offering. He gets up, goes to the place of which God had told him. It is an amazing thing, isn't it? Go to the place where I, Mount Moriah. I mean, some have made a big deal of this, and I think they should. And that is Mount Moriah is where the temple would eventually be. And that, of course, is the vicinity where our Lord himself was crucified. And so we do see quite a bit of this passion narrative unplaying here. He cuts the wood for the burnt offering. On the third day, sound familiar? We have a three-day sequence. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, notice he still hasn't talked to Isaac at all. The young men first are told, stay here with the donkey I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, this is a fascinating statement that I don't know that always gets much attention. So 
Let's see what we can do with it. The servants whom I brought up earlier are told to stay there with the donkey. Now, we know in do- I think, oh boy, this is like uh, the triumphal entry, isn't it? Speaking of passion echoes here, the donkey, he sits on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, Matthew says, and that's exactly what a donkey does. It bears your burdens. It carries your luggage. Now, the two servants, I think it's, I mean, it's fascinating there are two there, right? Like uh, everything established on the basis of two or three witnesses or where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. You know, you have this, you're not solo, everything's two or more. Two, I think, is representative of the company of those who are called to believe what Abe says to them and wait with the burdens placed in front of them. Stay here with the donkey. Stay here with this beast of a burden, the one that I have given you to bear. Take it up and be patient. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will do all this work of salvation. We will go over there to that place that the Lord has appointed and worship. You know, the worship of Revelation, it's around the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is the epitome of worship, you know. And we will come again to you. Stay there. Be patient. Watch. For you know not the hour or the time when our Lord returns. Stay here with the burdens I've given you. We will accomplish this good work and we will return. Does sound familiar? That's the Christian faith right there. These servants and the language, I mean the language, the language, the lingo or language, also known as language of servant is also very rich for what Christians are. Servants of the suffering servant. The apostles and so on use that. Stay here with the burdens I've given you. We will come back. Do you hold me at that word? Just as Abe is told to take the Lord at his word, so the servants need to cling to Abe's word. Abraham again takes the wood of the burnt offering, lays it on Isaac, his son. Sound familiar? His son bearing the wood. Uh, The father setting this task upon him. He took in his hand, that is Abe, the fire and the knife. Again, he's doing all this work. The father offers up his son. He goes as it has been said of him. You know, Abe doesn't say much there at the start. What about the, what about Isaac? I mean, that's the other thing too. He gets, listen to the speaking roles. Have you thought about this of Isaac? He gets only two, uh, two, two statements here at this, in this, uh, in this account so far, and it goes like this. Isaac says to his father, my father. Now that is awesome. Because Abe says, here I am, my son. The same way that Abe says, here I am to God, he says, here I am to the son. He is this high priest, as it were, the middleman saying, here I am to God and here I am to, to your son, to your people, your beloved son, Israel. Here I am mediating between God and man. Isaac says, my father, my, Abe says, my son. They could just say, I mean, I don't know, my father calls me my first name. <laughs> he doesn't say my son. He calls me my first name. That's, what it, how, that's how that works. 
but they both confess the relationship to another, even if it doesn't make sense. My father, I have no idea what you're up to, but you are still my father in this. Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I have no idea what you're up to. You're trying to do this sacrifice. You have no lamb. It makes no sense. You're trying to do this wonderful thing for me in my life, and yet this really hurts. It makes no sense. But you're still my father. And you have asked us as your dear children to call upon you as dear father, our father in heaven. Even when things don't make sense at all. And that's what's happening here between the my father and my son. No matter what's going on, this is the relationship you have with me. Don't ever forget that. I've called you my son in the waters of holy baptism. I will not leave you or forsake you. Not even angels or principalities, things above, below, present, future can separate you from this father-son relationship. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. This is a repeated phrase. They went both of them together. It doesn't matter how much exactly is understood for you to be with our Lord in this way. They went both of them together. How close can they be together if Isaac has no idea what's going on? So they went both of them together. Isaac has questions about the kind of burden he is about to undergo, but they went both of them together. But they went both of them together. It'll, it'll appear again here very soon. And notice Abe's confidence that God will provide. There's a play on words here. I should probably mention this. Between seeing and providing, it's the same kind of language. So Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees the place. Um. You could almost translate it, God will see for himself. I mean, we even use that expression in English, don't we? He'll see to it, implying that he will provide for it. Uh, so that kind of carries over even in English. We God will see to it. Abe lifts his eyes and sees. God will see to it. He will provide that it happens. There'll be more here about the seeing because they'll even name the place the Lord will we'll see this soon uh, the Lord will provide but nonetheless that's the what's going on here the Lord will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering now at this point how much does Abe know does he know what he well, how much does he know he is convinced that God will provide he will provide the lamb even if that lamb is his son Isaac God will provide that lamb and God will provide for the promises through that lamb even if that lamb is crucified Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. 
You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Genesis chapter 22. Again, a very familiar account, the near sacrifice of Isaac. I didn't say this at the beginning, but if you've been tracking along and listened to the last podcast, God had already commanded Abe to sacrifice Ishmael, as it were. Cast him out. Listen to Sarah. Cast him out. And there's a lot of language that's similar between 21 and 22. I think that's intentional. I think these are mo- these are meant to be associated. There's there's a putting to death of Isaac as it were before as a kind of I don't know preparation as it were for the sacrifice, the putting to death of Isaac. And I mean that's kind of remarkable to think about that even when it's the you know he chooses one brother over the other, he immediately finds a way to to kind of privilege the unchosen in a way. You're the first to, Hagar's the first to get the the angel of the Lord, right? That doesn't happen to Sarah. Um, Ishmael's the first to have this, you know, sacrificial experience. That doesn't happen to Isaac yet. It will, and it kind of comes to a culmination here. So first there is this kind of prioritizing, even if it's the unchosen, they're they're being dealt with in a way that that, uh, may graft them in to the one true faith. And then also, uh, they also serve as a kind of, I don't know, preparation for a culmination of sorts. And uh, in all of that, that God may be all in all, that he may work salvation for, for Jew and Gentile alike. When they came to the place of which God had told him, this is verse 9, the language of place is very rich, the place where the Lord your God will choose. It's a place of worship. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built there the altar. So again, Abraham's doing all this work. He builds the altar, lays the wood in order, binds Isaac, his son, lays him on the altar on top of the wood. There's so many details about what Abraham is doing. Again, the role of the servants, how maybe we best serve you? Confessing the faith, staying patient, watching, staying awake. You know not the hour at which your father, uh, your father's only begotten son returns to judge the living and the dead. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. The narrative slows way down. Several verbs are used. Reaches out his hand, takes the knife, slaughter the son. You get every indication that he's going to go through with this. But the angel of the Lord, now we have the angel of the Lord for, for Abe, for Isaac here. Again, that was first for Hagar called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This angel of the Lord, again, is no run of the mill angel. It speaks like God, talks like God, moves around like God. Abraham, Abraham, that's what God said. Now this is the angel. 
Notice, though, that there's this back and forth. Now I know that you fear God. Wait. Seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. Wait, I thought you were an angel. I'm seeing that you've not withheld your son from God. You fear God because you haven't withheld him from God. From me. This angel talks like God, identifies with God, speaks like God. You know, this, whoa, this is not a regular angel. This is someone one with God. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, again, this language of seeing, looked, and behold, behind him was, I mean, this was in the dark. Behind him is to, is to say, I didn't see it happen in this way, but the Lord provided this whole time. There was that ram behind him caught in a thicket by its horns, or you should, I mean, you might even say thorns, that nice English rhyme there, thorns around the head, the ram by means of the head caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. There still was a sacrifice that had to happen. I mean, that's the other thing too is that you could just end the narrative. I mean, presumably, couldn't you just end the narrative? Um, Oh, no, no. Now I know that you fear me. So don't, I mean, it was a test of your faith, test of your fear. Now I know that you fear me. Go ahead and be on, on your way. Wouldn't that make the point? Wouldn't he also pass the test that way? He passes the test, as it were. Faith is strengthened. And then they go on and live happily ever after. A sacrifice still has to happen. It's not as if, I mean, we don't have this, the Heavenly Father doesn't just wave a magic wand and say, poof, there goes sin and all of its consequences. Something has to to pay the price. God is just. He will deal with sin justly. And so, and yet at the same time, he provides for that sacrifice. So we have this ram offered up, which is interesting because, I mean, the lamb, the language of, is a lamb, isn't it? A ram is like an adult uh, lamb, I guess. What is a ram? An adult male. And does this reflect also Abram's faith as it has matured this lamb to ram, this we have this kind of preparatory sacrifice. Everybody was t- thinking a lamb, and yet we have this ram. We'll see more about the ram. Day of Atonement has these rams. This is a very atoning sacrifice. Of course, Jesus will be referred to as the Lamb of God. And yet, from one angle, we have this mature, this full, complete sacrificial ram, Day of Atonement kind of ram, animal that uh, will be offered up for the atonement of the sins of the world. The Lord will provide. So they name this place. This is a fascinating name. They name it. He names it. The Lord will provide future tense. How about the Lord has provided? Go to the mountain where the Lord once provided a long time ago. They name the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's both a future tense in both phrases. Um, That's fascinating. That's to say that this episode that we're talking about is not just a one-off. It's not just an isolated kind of self-contained 
account or narrative, well, that's interesting, and I hope we can kind of like expropriate a, a moral of the story for us. No, this is actually something has happened that will have ongoing relevance, something that has happened that will be constitutive. It will actually make up the reality of God's church, the reality of God's salvation for all times and places. So on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be, whatever it is, past, present, and future, on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. All things needed, whatever it is, on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Notice that not only the future tense, but it also links it to this particular place, this mountain. On the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What if I don't have a lot of money? What if I'm in physical pain and affliction? What, whatever it is, all things necessary will be provided by the Lord on the mount. And this language also, again, is this, the language of seeing. Abram sees. This, these are the eyes of faith. We walk by, by faith, not by sight. This is the, 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 the eyes of faith. The sight of faith is to see. Again, the language of provide is seeing. The Lord will see. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. You could do that too. The, on, the mount of the Lord, the, the Lord, on the mount of the Lord, the Lord will see to it. And you will see. Your own eyes will see the salvation that our Lord has prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light to lighten the Gentiles and glory of his people Israel, as we say after the sacrament. The angel of the Lord calls a second time there. You'll see verses 15. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Notice this kind of declares the Lord. I thought this was an angel. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Notice this language of, I'll surely bless you and multiply you. Sounds kind of familiar. Stars of heaven, sand on the seashore. We've heard some of this before. This uh, adds this phrase, uh, possessing the gate of the enemies. This is warfare stuff. The Lord not only will provide on this mount, but he will defeat enemies by means of this mount, by means of this promise that he's continuing to watch over and fulfill in amazing ways. The Lord will defeat enemies. You'll possess the gate of his enemies. My victory kind of reminds me of Psalm 2. The Lord sends forth his, his scepter from Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord rules in his word and sacrament. The Lord reigns in the midst of his enemies on his, his table that is prepared in the midst of my enemies. That's how he reigns. And that's the kind of, I mean, that, that's the kind of spill over here is what has happened on that mount. The Lord will provide even when it comes to attacks against it, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it because you will possess the gate of your enemies. So Abraham returns to his servants. I love this. They, I told you I was coming back. And here they are. They go together to Beersheba, this place of wells. 
Sounds like the wells of water. Sounds like the waters and wells of salvation that the prophets also talked about. They go, they go back to that same source. They've been in Beersheba before. This was the Abimelech thing you can listen to in chapter 21. But they go back to the wells of water where they live <laughs> life everlasting, I should say. I mean, I'm just thinking Isaiah 12 and these other places that speak of the wells of water of salvation. That's where they return. And, uh, you know, that happily ever after ending I kind of quipped about before, that takes on a whole new meaning here when they go to Beersheba. I told you I was coming back. I did come back. And now we have salvation from here on and into eternity. I think we should call it there. The last part of this is uh, we get a little bit more genealogy here, so we extend this to uh, to Rebecca, uh, who will marry Isaac, as we know, and uh, we'll say more about that in due course. Hey, Genesis 22, big deal. Thanks for tuning in. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.